Let's get into the, let's get into the passage in Matthew 9. And this is what it says. We're going to start in verse 27. Or 27 um, and I'll read from there. And as Jesus passed on from there, where was the there again? Where was there? The healing of this little girl, right? This little girl is at her, her dad's house, her family's house, and she's thought to be dead. She is dead. Jesus says, no, she's just asleep. They laugh. They think that's hilarious. Terrible mourners. Um, and heals her, calls her my little daughter in like a pet name for a daughter, like if it was your own child, what you might call. That's what Jesus calls to her. She gets up. He says, give her something to eat. And then as he's on the way from that act, okay? So this is important again. He's not just going from a thing. It's going from this act, this, this experience, this influence on a family. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came into, him, came into the house to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. Good luck. Good try. <laughs> but they went away, spread his fame throughout all the district, right? It didn't go. That last part didn't go very well. Um, but let's, let's stop on this story real quick. A few things. Um, there's something important about what they're yelling out. Another... another um, Story of this, I believe it's Mark, talks about them calling out and the crowd is so thick and they're kind of getting berated so they cry out all the more. It's like they're just loud, they're obnoxious. They're real loud. They're really trying to get Jesus' attention. But what do they call him? Did they say Jesus? What do they, what do they call him? Miracle worker, prophet, teacher. A lot of people are calling him teacher right now. They're saying he must be a prophet, Right? He's being called a righteous man. What do they call him? You remember? What's it say? Son of David. Why is this important? What does that name mean? Why would they call him son of David? Has Jesus called himself son of David? No. No. Why is it important that they call him that? What does it imply? What are they saying? Right. They are calling out in a loud, obnoxious voice, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. The one we've been waiting for. The promised person. The one who, who much of this culture had probably given up on as just an ideal. Right? Just this, this hopeful one day in the by and by kind of thing. Right? Just eventually, surely this may happen. And they are calling it out obnoxiously to get his attention. Now, who else has called Jesus that so far? Who else has called Jesus the Messiah? Zero people. This is it. This is time number one. When Jesus gets called, blue screen, time number one is when Jesus gets called himself. What he's actually doing, who his whole person and whole spirit actually is Two blind men see it. And I love the irony of that. That the two blind, obnoxious guys are the ones that know who Jesus 
actually is. What happened a few chapters ago? Jesus calms a storm, and what do his best friends, the disciples, who've seen him do everything, what do they say? Do you remember the phrase phrase they use? Who is this? (laughs) They say, who is this that even the wind and the storm obeys him? Who is this? We go from who is this, this might be a this, he might be this kind of guy. They're describing his character. These guys say who he is. It's beautiful. And Jesus asks, do you think that I can do this? (laughs) Which I think is a wonderful question. Obviously they do. (laughs) They're yelling out, Messiah, Messiah, have mercy on us. He's like, do you think that I can heal you? Yes. What has all this been about? (laughs) You know what I mean? I didn't come for, I don't know, french fries. I wanted sight. So Jesus says to them, it'll be done as is according to your faith. Now, here's another quick tidbit on this one, all right? We hear this verse, it'll be done according to your faith, and we need to understand that that's not in a vacuum either, okay? A lot of us think because something is not done, it must be because our faith is small, right? We have all over the place varying levels of faith seeing Jesus' power join their faith, right? We have one coming soon, I think, where Jesus says, do you believe that I have the power to do this? And the guy says, no, but cure my unbelief. No, I don't, to be honest. I I don't. I'm hopeful, but I'm really doubtful. Can you just cure that? And Jesus loves them, like thinks it's witty and smart. He's like, that's fair. Yeah, I'll do it. That sounds great. (laughs) Another one, it's to mine and Jacob's conversation, it's either his friends and him or just his friend's faith that heals someone, right? So there's all kinds of measures of faith that we have here. And Jesus says to these two guys, it's going to be done to the measure of your faith. And then they can see. It's beautiful. <clears throat> um, why would Jesus say not to tell anybody? Why? There's, there's probably not a right answer on this one. We just need to talk about it. It's going to come up a bunch. Why would you say not to say anything? Sternly, even, right? I mean, not sternly enough, because they did right away. But why would they not? Why would he want them to not tell? Yeah. Okay, so he doesn't want their attention yet. Okay, I think that's a great thought. It's reasonable. What else? To your first point, like in this specific case, they're the first ones to properly identify him, so he's probably stirring up other things specifically because of that. Because of the identification. Maybe he wants other people to see it themselves rather than having these two guys say. That's fair. What else? What happens when Jesus tries to go heal Jairus' daughter? Do you have a hard time getting there? Because it's a crowd. Too many people. Part of it, people think logistically, it's tough to be loved in this time by thousands and thousands of people because you can't do anything. You can't like, go anywhere. There's a crowd. You can't, you can't make your way to a place to do anything, right? You may not can teach all those people. Later, we find out it's real hard to have lunch when there's that many people, and you have to make a bunch of fish sandwiches out of Three pieces of bread or whatever it ended up being, right? You can't, it's logistically, it's difficult. What else? There's another one. 
There's a, probably a bunch more. There's another one. I, I, and I haven't thought about it much until this week when I was reading this. It's, it's almost <clears throat> as if, and I think it's kind of what both of y'all said, it's kind of this idea of what happens, especially in this day, but even today, when something grand happens and it gets told one time, and then it gets told another time, and then it gets told another time. We have this game of telephone where you have the story spreading faster than the truth is then too, right? <clears throat> so first, maybe he heals their blindness. Then maybe he made one's hair grow back. Then, you know, he also gave them new shoes. And then they had children and they could, you know what I mean? Who knows how the story goes? And maybe Jesus wants just truth to reign in the midst of the hype that is him, right? It's his life. But anyway, regardless, it doesn't work well. And then the rest of the stories kind of hinge on that. Um, and this is this. And as they were going away, again from there, Behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And then after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. So this story, a little, a little strange for a lot of us, maybe depending on your background, maybe not strange. I'll say, strange to me. It's a, it's a weird one. But this demon is in this man, keeping him from speaking. Jesus throws the demon out. The man begins to talk, and everyone's amazed. What does the crowd say? What are they, what are they noticing? You can answer this one, too. What is the crowd saying? Do they, they like it. It's good. They're amazed, right? They love that this has been, they say, never before have we seen anything like this. This is beautiful. This is good. Look what has happened. Over and over, you have ordinary people, I'll say very uneducated, oppressed, outsider people, seeing what's actually happening. Who declares Jesus is who Jesus really is? Two blind guys that in their culture, obviously, were incredibly sinful, or they wouldn't have been blind. Or their parents were the worst, because God decided to curse their children with blindness, right? That is the cultural thought. And then, for them to see who Jesus actually is, is ironic and beautiful and all the things. <clears throat> and then Jesus throws this demon out of a person, and the crowd says, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. Look at what is happening among us. We can't believe we are alive for this. This might be the Messiah. And what do the experts, what do the religious people, what do the ones who have that stuff figured out, what do they say? They say, no, he kicked out a demon because he is the prince of demons. It is important for us to notice this juxtaposition. Because a lot of us in here, maybe not all of us, a lot of us in here, think we know this much better than we actually do, number one. And we think we know God's ways so strongly and so securely because someone told us it one time, 20 years ago, or because you were taught it by someone who was really loud, or because when you read it that time, it really hit home that one time, and we haven't looked at it again, and we haven't looked at the idea again, or the belief again, and, and we 
need to be careful we are not the kind of people who, like the Pharisees, look at something beautiful and look at something good, but it doesn't fit what we like, and it doesn't fit, and it doesn't make us feel right, and we might even be the sinful ones, and so we say, foul, no, incorrect, you, your theology's all off, get out with it, wrong, I know better, the Bible says, blank, the Pharisees, by the way, knew scriptures so well from their Old Testament. They could pull a huge scroll out, unroll it to the proper place, and start just quoting from it as if they needed to see it. To get to be a Pharisee, you had it memorized legitimately, memorized with thought and argument throughout history of it being written. They knew, they knew Jesus wasn't the one because of what they knew. They're not idiots. Not all of them were just awful rulers of people hungry for power. But they didn't see what the normal, the oppressed, the uneducated outsider was seeing. Jesus was the Messiah for real. That what was happening was good. The love that was coming from this person was pure and it was right, and it was lovely in every way. And the crowd could see it. They said, nothing like this has ever happened, especially among them. <laughs> nothing. And the Pharisees said, ha, probably because you have a demon in you. You can call a demon out, it's probably because you're the prince of it. What are they calling him? The Satan, Right? <laughs> the prince of the demons. You have blind men calling him the Messiah, educated folks calling him the opposite. And then right after, and this is why I want us to read all three of these in succession. Succession? I don't think that's the right word. Succession? Anyway. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Listen to this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want us to, to talk about this specifically. So depending on the church tradition you grew up in or when you've read this last or whatever else, you might have heard it taught to you a certain way, and that's fine. That, it was probably good, more than likely, right? But <clears throat> what does Jesus see when he looks out at the people? As he's healing everything, right? He's, he's healing every kind of affliction and disease, Right? But what does Jesus see when he looks out to them? What makes Jesus sad? What catches Jesus' heart and attention? What is it? You remember the two words? What is it? Yeah. Harassed and helpless. Sheep without a shepherd. This is what Jesus sees in this group of people, whoever it is, right? 
And this doesn't necessarily mean they're not society's elite, but as Jesus sees them, this is what Jesus sees. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, harassed, we can spiritualize this if we want to. I'll keep this. We can spiritualize this as we want, if we want to and say they're, they're harassed by the evil one or they're harassed by whatever. But probably, what are they harassed by? They might be harassed by their, by their culture, by their leaders, by the tax collectors all about their town, by their affliction, by their family, by the problems they have day to day, by their boss. Who knows what it is? But they are harassed absolutely and they're helpless. They are in situations they can't get out of. The system is crushing them. Whether it be their created system at home, that's fine, we can say that, or if it's the system at large in Jewish culture, or if it's just the system of humanity just not living up to itself. Whatever it is, a system is rolling them, absolutely. And Jesus looks at them and says, they are just wandering about like herding sheep. And he's moved by it. And in the, his heart, seeing them that way, is what he declares, that famous, this famous verse that surely many of us have had quoted to them, or at least badly, you've heard. But the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is being a shepherd to harassed and helpless people. Removing them from harassment. Being one that helps them so they're no longer unhelped. So they're no longer walking around without clothing. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. The, the laborers, the people that go give coats, there's not enough of them. He said the system is crushing them and not enough laborers are going to question the system and say, no, let's interject justice into it. The, the, the system of everyone looking out for themselves, of making sure they are stable, that they have a, a bank account of security. And when someone else has nothing, they said they are the, the helpless ones need someone, some labor to stand up and go to them right now. Jesus turns to the 12 people he loves the most and says, you have to go right now. Stop waiting. Pray for more labors. Not, not necessarily praying for someone to go on a street corner and make sure someone knows why they're damned. No, instead, go actually be helpful. Go relieve harassment. Go be justice and do it immediately. Jesus says there's not enough. Because you know why there's not enough here, today, in Austin, Texas? It's because the fact that we know there's problems isn't us solving them. It's us feeling good that we know the problem and have educated ourselves on it and, and made good with the dinner party thinking that we're right. And our money doesn't move, our food stays in our own fridge, and our coats stay on our back. Jesus says, there is plenty to do. Get up and go now. But, and again, here's why, again, to go now. Because plenty of people are saying, it's not a problem. It's their own 
fault for whatever's happening to them. The Pharisees were so good at that. Sounds like a lot of people we know. They must have sinned. They deserve it. Don't go help them. They'll sell that coat to buy something else. Okay? Jesus says, but they're harassed and helpless, and it moves me. How about I just go heal them all? Let's do that. How about I go be be the son of David now? That's what I'll do. Oh, he's great. He's cheering. He's awesome. He believes this. His parents are doing it. It's the deal. So, that's why. Anyway, so let's do this. We're going to have communion with that hope. That we will, first of all, maybe be humble people and know that sometimes we're the crowd and we're doing it and we're seeing Jesus for who he really is. I do believe that that is so many of you at so much of your life and so much of your time. There's a time, though, when all of us are the Pharisee. It's saying, yeah, actually, you're so incredibly wrong, I can't buy into that at all and help you and be a part of what you're doing, you prince of demons, whatever it is. You probably haven't said that, but if you did, that'd be weird. Um, and then there's, there's also a time where we look at ourselves and say, do we even care that the harvest is plentiful, really? Do we really care about the harassed and helpless ones, the sheep without a shepherd, Does that matter to us? If it does, why have I not moved my energy, my resources, and my time and my affection towards those harassed and helpless ones? Why haven't we done that? And then we need to listen for the reason. We need to repent of the reason, change course, do different. So, in that vein, um, let's, uh, let's stand together and we're going to have communion.